We're going to cover about two and a half chapters today. Y'all know I never do that, right? Y'all know pastor never do that. But um, it's, it's one, th- one complete thought, kind of, and it's a lot of genealogy within it. I think the Holy Spirit had a lot of method to the madness as he kind of guided and superintended Nehemiah and gave him oversight as he helped him uh, to, to, to write this a memoir uh, of grace. Let's look in chapter 11, verse 1. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right, let's get it. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then we're going to chapter 12 and then dive specifically into chapter 13. Look at us. Here we go. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out or bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Um, the rest of that is genealogy. We go over to verse 25. Um, it says, And as for the villages and their fields, some of the people of Judah live in Kariath Arabah and its villages. Let's move down to chapter 12, verse 1. And these are the priests and the Levites who, Levites who came up from Zerub, with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel. Turn over to chapter 12, 20, verse 27. It says, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to the celebration, to, to celebrate the dedication with gladness. Uh, verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, uh, the contributions, the first fruits and tithes to gather in, uh, into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. Y'all still trekking with us. Verse 1, it says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated, say separated. From all uh, from Israel, all who are uh, all those foreign of uh, foreign descent. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God, and who was related to Tobiah, b- uh, pr- prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where there are pr- where there are pre- were previously had previously put the grain offering. The frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes, the grain, the wine, oil, which were given by commandments to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. 
And, then, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture to, of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and then cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Just for a little while, I want to talk about rebuilt through putting things in order rebuilt through putting things in order. Father, we honor you, bless you, Lord God. And we just want to uh, just pray today, God, and just come before you, Lord God, because we know what you're up. We want to know what you're up to in our lives. We want to have clarity in the word of God, because it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway, we get the oh, glorious honor and the chance to have light shown on different sectors and corridors of our existence. So, Lord, as usual, as we pray every week, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength our Redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Everybody agree with that said? Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. You may be seated. This is the section we got, we got, basically, this is the next to the last sermon in Nehemiah. This is the next to the last sermon. So we, functionally, we're, we got two more after concluding today. And so we're almost finished the book of Nehemiah. And we've been working through Rebuilt to Build and how God was using, um, you, God was using by his grace the people of God to represent his reign on planet earth. And we remember that they were placed under captivity. Now they have been released from that captivity after 77 years plus uh, another 20 years of them lingering and not functioning in it. Now they're to the point where they have rebuilt the walls because they were down. And as they were rebuilding the walls, they were rebuilding the walls of a particular city and that was the, the, uh, the city of uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was supposed to be, based on the Psalms, it was supposed to be the model city. It was supposed to be a model city, but it wasn't just the structures and the buildings and the temple and all of those things that were representative, if you will, of, um, of, of, of that representation of God. But it's the people who are actually the city. Like Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. He's not talking to a building. He's not talking to chairs. He's not talking to sound equipment. He's talking about people. They meant somebody. And so we come here in this section, and after they've gotten through the first wave of getting a whole bunch of stuff done, they got to get in order. Say order. Now, order is so important because after after a lot of work has been done, you got to set things in order. If I can make it plain real quick. You know, in my life, I remember when I was in college and in seminary and postgraduate school, and, and, and 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 I got what's in the first week called syllabus shock. And in that first week, syllabus shock meant you got all the syllabuses, syllabi rather, my English majors, um, that, um, that, that, that set up to help you to recognize um, um, what you needed to get done. It was shocking because the first thing you did, soon as the professor passed out the syllabus to you, the first thing you did, you didn't look at the goals of the objectives, you didn't care about that, you didn't look at the professor's name, you didn't look at the time of the class. The first thing I would turn to is what in the world do I have to get done for this class? And so I would go to the assignments page, and I would lay out all of this assignment stuff. I would go through, if you take 12 credit hours or 15 credit hours, 18 credit hours, at one point I took 21 credit hours to graduate. And so I had to lay out 21 syllabi. 
And then I, I, I folded it to join over, and I looked at the assignments. And then I went down the assignment list, and I would go through everything that I had to get assigned. Now, we didn't have iPhones and iPads, all of that. So what we had to do is we had a calendar that we bought from the grocery store somewhere. We'd open up our calendar, look at the date that it was, that was supposed to be due. We put the due date on it. After we put the due date, then we would say the time we want to have it by. And we write all of that down. And we're like, oh, man, I can get this done. This is going to be raw right here. I'm like, this is going to be banging, right? But then the semester actually starts happening. <laughs> and when the semester actually starts happening, then you realize that even though you put all this stuff in order, there are things that can get in the way of what you put in order. And many of our lives are like that. We, we want to, some of us are planners. We know I got a bunch of non-planners here. You know what I'm saying? Amen for my ambidextrous artistic people. Um, but, uh, but then we got some organized, more linearly, philosophically linear people who, who, who you are a little more tight, if you will. Um, and, so, and, so, and so what happens is, is when you place things in order, one of the things you have to recognize, like Nehemiah recognized, is there are always going to be challenges when stuff gets put in order. Um, there's always, and we're going to see that from Genesis to Revelation. But if you're going to put things in order, if you're going to be rebuilt by God's grace by putting things in order, order, the first thing you must recognize is order in missional representation. Order in missional representation. Chapter 11, chapter 11, it says, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who were willing to offer to live in Jerusalem. Now, this is dope right here, <coughs> because what they're going through is gentrification, okay? Now, you got to recognize Jerusalem was raggedy in the mug, right? And I mean, it was bombed out. It, it was, I mean, I know we don't recognize that in Philly as much, or, you know, because Philly's a very pristine city. They're not really too much bombed out stuff or abandoned homes or crumbling structures, but since, since we, we can't really relate to that. But, but in, in Jerusalem, it was like this, all right, after they came back from being judged. And so the city was in plum ruin, right? And so the city was so in plum ruin, nobody wanted to live there. So Nehemiah had to cast lots, which kind of like a lottery, like to get in a charter school or something. But, 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 but this is not like a lottery. Somebody said, the lottery's in the Bible. I'm going to get that 118. I saw up on the back. No, we're not talking about lottery, all right? But this lottery is just a way they cast lots in which the, the Father uses, God uses, to sovereignly uh, assign things to people that he wants them to do and be for his glory. So in this passage in particular, by God's grace, um, nobody wanted to live in Jerusalem, so they had to cast lots. So you had, they had, had 42,000 people, remember from the early chapter. So divide 42,000 by 10, that's 10 families. Now, they cast lot when they put them all in the hat. They cast lots, they, put, they, draw, they draw a name, and they say, they say, Mephibosheth, y'all got to live in Jerusalem. Now, you got to understand, nobody wanted to live there. So everybody's like, dog, man, I got to live in Jerusalem, man. I wanted to live out like Gad or Naphtali somewhere or in Dan's territory. You know what I'm saying? Now I got to live in Jerusalem. Praise God, I'm going to be in Jerusalem. Amen. Praise God. So Cass is wilding. Now, no, the reason why we knew that they were struggling with living in Jerusalem because the text says, the text says something interesting. The people who weren't going to Jerusalem rejoiced for the people who had to live in Jerusalem. That, that's what the text says. So he's like, I ain't got to live there. So, wow, man, praise God for you, dog. Oh, man. Wow, glad we ain't got to go. Man, that's booming. So, so people who live there to the, to the point where Nehemiah, Nehemiah ended up buying property to develop incentives 
for people to be able to be okay with living in Jerusalem. And so in our context, we, have to, we will have some that we know everybody won't live in the city that goes to this ministry, but we're calling for and asking people to commit themselves in a, in a way that reflects being a city within a city. We know Philadelphia is not Jerusalem, but the people of God is the new Jerusalem. Amen, somebody. And since we are the new Jerusalem, we are to be represented in the city. And so there are several structures and things that are to be put in order and placed in order in what's called this redistribution philosophy of life um, 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 here in the passage. Um, it's called shalom mechanisms. Somebody say shalom mechanisms. Now, shalom mechanisms is what God intends to be put in place for a city to become a model place. And Jerusalem being the model city was supposed to be the format by which all other cities were designed. And so right here we see the first thing that, 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 that's needed and what happens when this redistribution, a.k.a. gentrification, not regentrification, regentrification is getting people there out and putting new people in. That's what God did at first to get the people of God into the land of Canaan. You checking with me, right? Plat out. That's different. This, this, this is when nobody's there. Jonah's bombed out, very little population. Boom. You put people there who are not there because there are no people there. But there are several things that happen, and I'll, I'll just focus on five of them. Number one, godly families. Godly families. The city needs godly families. I'm going to say that again because y'all didn't hear me. The city needs godly families. The reason why cities need godly families is because families is the format about what God utilizes to, to, to order creation after his divine order. Uh, um, when you look at Genesis, the first thing that God put in place is what? Family. Family orders how God's format of distribution happens. Now, practically speaking, you're going around a neighborhood like this, a pop being with his kids, walking with his kids with a ring on his finger because he's actually married to the woman he's with, and boom, he's talking to his children, developing his children, not cursing them out, reflecting godly family, husband and wife putting on a nice outfit, going to the um, sub or, 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 or getting in the ride with a nice outfit, going on a date, not going for a booty call, amen, somebody, but going, oh, y'all not going to get with me. Y'all going to get with me in a second. But I'm talking about they're going to get in relationship with one another, holding hands, walking down the street, ring her and her finger, ring on his finger, looking in each other's eyes. Like the way my wife looked today, I, I got to take her somewhere in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I, she gave me inspiration, inspiration, inspiration. The aroma of, oh, Lord, help me. Anyway, anyway, so, so let, me, let me get back on the sermon. She messed me up, man. Um. Hey, where was I? Oh, families, godly families. And so, and so with godly family, what that does is that reorders what manhood looks like, what womanhood looks like, what parenting looks like, or a.k.a. what the kingdom looks like. But you also need godly single folk. That means people who, who through shalom, reject booty calls. Let me, get some, let, me, let, me, let me see if I can help you right now. See, when you got godly singles who have some tight late nights, if you will, but who allow the kingdom rule of God to, to massage and develop them more than a relationship. You have godly development of individuals. Amen, somebody. And, 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 but then you got godly economic and business development. You'll see that because that didn't exist in the city. And we saw that in chapter 3, in chapter 4, and in chapter 5. So you got to rebuild the system from the inside out. Then we see godly educational initiatives as well as, which we saw in Nehemiah 8, and then also godly housing development, which we saw in the earlier chapters as well. <coughs> and so it's rebuilt from the inside out. However, 
We got to be careful because social transformation without spiritual renewal leads to a mirage of peace. In other words, if there's external transformation without internal transformation, you got comprehensive soul devastation. But then if you have spiritual renewal without social transformation, leaders have a skewed portrait of, 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 of the kingdom. That means that, that, means that you, you, you're, you're always sharing the gospel with somebody but don't have functional ways in which the gospel functionally transforms individual areas of the lives of the people to help that to be able to happen. But spiritual renewal coupled with social transformation is an HD kingdom trailer. And so that would have to happen in the lives of our people and in the city of with the people of God. The next thing he put in order, listen to all the things he put in order. Trek with me, we're just continuing to build our foundation. The next thing he put in order is order in ministry, leadership. When you look over in chapter 12, verse 25, you'll, you'll begin to, you'll, you'll begin, not tw- verse 25, but verse 12, you'll begin to see some of that. It said, in the J's of Go back to verse 1. It says, these are the priests of the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel. Then he goes and he lays out all those priests. Verse 12, he said, in the days of Jehoiakim, uh, who uh, were priests, heads of the father's houses. He begins to talk about how they got organized. Next point. Keep tracking with me. Order in community worship life. Order and community worship life. Chapter 12, verse 44. Trek with me. We're still laying a foundation of this. Uh, again, he's setting all of these different things in order from the inside out. Um, look at verse 27 of chapter 12. It says, And the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing and with cymbals and, and harps, and the sons of the singers gathered together with the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages. So check this out. What they began to do is as they began to order this, themselves as a community of worshipers, when God did mile markings in their lives, not just in their personal lives, but in the life of the community where God moves them forward in different areas, they celebrated it. When they got different landmarks, see, a seller, see, see, the reason why nobody said nothing right there is because 99.9999% of us have an entitlement philosophy. And what happens is, is when God blesses us, we think we deserved it. When God puts some stuff in our life in order, we think we deserved it. And so what we do is we don't celebrate what God does. We don't honor what God does because we say, God, what you did for me, I deserve to happen in my life. And so right here, what they do when the wall was completed, what they did was they celebrated the completion of the wall. That's why it was some, it was, everybody talk about the old church all the time and dog the old church. I know they had Mother's Day, Sister's Day, Mama Day, uh, October Circle, all of that stuff. But know what I'm telling you? I'm going to tell you something the old church knew how to do. It knew how to celebrate when God did something. It, it knew how to say, it knew how to say, God, we knew how bad it was and how it looked like this wasn't going to happen but we got a word from you and knew we were called to do this, and we didn't know between A and B, but all we knew is that you told us to do it. 
when you did it, you've taken us there. And when we look back, we're like, how in the world did this happen? All of these, these things look messed up. The walls were messed up. Lives were messed up. The kingdom was messed up. But all of a sudden, you've given provision and did provision. And I want to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. Every now and then in your life, when God gives you a mile marker, no matter where you are, you need to learn how to open your mouth and say thank you to God. That's why you're not saying nothing still, because you think everything in your life is because of your life. You think it's because of your goodness. You think it's because of your faithfulness. You think it's because of your consistency. But if it had not been for the goodness of God that brought you through, you wouldn't be what you are. So you better stand your behind back and stand in awe of the reality of God. Stand in awe of his glory. Stand in awe of his goodness. Stand in awe of him. You better learn how to have a thankful spirit. And see, there can be no order in community life unless we know where all things come from. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And I don't care whether you, whether you got a fitted or you got a duck bill or no hair, you got weave or you got a receding hairline. Your head should be, your head should be up. Your hands should be up. Why? Because he did it. He did it. He did it. So you got to learn how to celebrate him. A community that doesn't celebrate is in great turmoil. <laughs> Somebody got to make you remember God. So the people of God said, we got to get worship in order. So they got the singers together. They got everything up and running. But even in their worship life, they got the service and all of those different things together because worship means that I'm not entitled to anything. That's what it means. And because I'm not entitled to anything, worship makes me serve. Look at verse 44. It says, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the fruit, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification. What happened here is the worship motivated the people because of the order that God had put in place to actually plug in and work. That means you can't have an orderly kingdom without servants who don't just have a hand out but put their hands up. I'm alone. So what I need to tell you is there are points in your life where you need to stop being a bench warmer when God is, listen, I don't know any player in the NBA even though the base salary in the NBA is $400,000, praise God if you could sit down and travel and have a per diem per day $1,000 to go where you want and sit down on the bench. But there is no guy that dress up on the bench in the NBA that just wants to sit on the bench. I, I wish I had some help there. Uh, although they're on the team, when the coach tells them to take off their outer garment, what they do, them cats run up in front of the judges and they stand there and they're like, when can I get in the game? And they snatch that off. Somebody grabs that and they go like this, pow, throw that thing back and then they run out in the game. Why? Because they're, they're enjoying the benefits of being on the team, but they want to contribute. And see, many of us are on the team, but we don't contribute nothing. 
There's no season of your life where you can't contribute in some way. And, and, that, and that's the good thing about things in order. Somebody, see, this, this, is, what I, this is funny about folks. See, it don't impress me for you to tell me what problems any church you're in has. That don't impress me. I have people all the time, Pastor, I'm telling you, man, that place is a mess. Or this thing, we need to do this at a pit. I'm like, okay, well, um, what area you, you, how you, well, you know, in this season of my life, I got you, I got you, I got you. You in the hospital? Nah. You, you, you sick? You dealing with? Nah. I'm just, you know. Okay. Grace and peace. Love you. Love you, but, you know, you're going to warm the bench. See, order can't be put in place until God's ornaments get in order. And, and, and that means that we have to have, I don't have sacrifice. There is no order that ever happens. I'm gonna get, I'm, I don't want to preach too early, but it's something I want to say based on the Bible so fast. But, but, but there can't be any order without sacrifice. Ask Jesus. I'm going to come back to it in a second. Um, 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 oh, I got to move. I got to move. Ah, next point, because I only got 22 minutes and I got to get through all of this. Uh, um, order must not merely be external organization, but from the heart. You know, you know, right here over in chapter 13, <coughs> let's read it. It says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses, talking about the law, the Bible, in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, this is interesting. So, so right now, Nehemiah's gone. Nehemiah's gone, and Nehemiah's gone back to Artaxerxes. We saw that in the later part of chapter 13. He's gone back. He's gone back to, 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 to remember in chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, uh, Artaxerxes gave loot and support and resources for them to rebuild the walls. He dips to go back and fulfill his requirements, stay there for a while. While he's gone, things look to be going well. So plat out. He goes and they read the scriptures. Read the scriptures like they did in chapter 8 and chapter 9. They're rocked by what the Lord said. So what they began to do is separate out of Israel all of those who weren't worshipers of Yahweh. This wasn't merely Gentiles, but this was people who did not have faith in the living God. So he separated them out. And he specific, they specifically separated out Ammonites and Moabites because they're Israelite cousins because of those are the sons of Noah. Amen. Those are the sons of Noah that had through his daughters that because when he got drunk, boom, then they had babies. Boom. That's the line of, the, of Moab and Amnon. Now, we go here in this passage and Nehemiah says something interesting. He says, now before this, so before this happened right here in verses 1 uh, through 3, he says, now before this, Eliashib, the priest, this is not the high priest, but even though Eliashib is a high priest, that's another one. This is a different Eliashib, and this one is a priest over what? He says, who, appoint, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God, who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber 
where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by the commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. So the contributions that was made in the end of chapter uh, in the chapter 10 and the contributions that were made. Y'all tracking with me still, right? And the contribution that was given in chapter 12, verses 44 through the end of the chapter was storage in a chamber. In the, in the temple, you had the outer courts, you had the inner courts, you had the holiest of holy, and then you had sub-chambers in which there were storage units. Now, this area that this chamber is right here is like a small warehouse, okay? So it's a small warehouse. So they stored all of the ministry resources for the Levites and the leaders in there so they could be able to have what they needed to do what God called them to do. When, when, when Nehemiah left, Eliashab, Tobiah hollered at him. He said, oh, big knee gone? All right, good. Now let's work on getting this done. So what they did was he went in there, he took all of the resources out, and then he, he gave him an apartment inside the temple of God. Now, for most of you, that doesn't matter anything because for, there's two, two reasons why this is a challenge. Because in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, 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 Tobiah is an Ammonite. He's an Ammonite, so he's not even supposed to be in there. Now, we know that he's a non-believer, right? But we know how he functioned and what his function was in relation to the people of God. He did not like the people of God. Y'all real quiet right now. And so what they did was the temple was supposed to be the place where the presence of God was. First Chronicles chapter 6, First Chronicles chapter 7 is booming with this. Why? Because God dwells in heaven. There is nothing made with human hands that can hold him. But he gave an expression of his presence on planet earth so that the temple would be a representative tabernacle of the fact that the people of God was with him. So he says, I will make my dwelling among you. But they have taken the dwelling of God and turned it to a dwelling of divisiveness. Let me tell you why. Look at it right here. Now, uh, now uh, Tobiah is an interesting dude, right? I'm a, I got seven things to lay out what they were actually setting up when they put Tobiah in this place. Uh, 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 first thing is Nehemiah 2.10. Uh, uh, Tobiah wanted his personal welfare, not that of the people of God. Number two, Nehemiah 2.19 and 4 verse 3. Challenge the value of God's work through Nehemiah and the people of God. 4-7, chapter 4, verse 7, angry because the development of Jerusalem was destroying his influence and value. Um, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, tried to destroy Nehemiah. Six, uh, chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, resented Nehemiah not acknowledging his and Sambalat's self-perceived importance. Also wanted Nehemiah to abandon the work of God to tend to his personal selfish desires. Y'all ain't talking back to me. Chapter 6, verse 5, tried to undermine Nehemiah's leadership and the credibility of the work of God by attempting to build a calculated false case against his motives. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 14, uh, used lies, people, false theology to get God's leadership Get at the leadership. And so what happened is, is Tobiah now was set up in the temple, the epicenter, and to spread out what he had wanted to do all along throughout the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. Whenever God sets stuff in order in your life, whenever God's putting stuff in lining ducks up in a row amongst the people of God, whether you work there, whether it's in your family, the enemy does not like that. 
He does not like God's order, and he always wants to disrupt God's order in your life. And as soon as he sees this, this, or this order, he comes against that order. Y'all looking at me funny. Y'all don't think I'm in the book. Well, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Don't turn there. I'll tell it to you. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and they were tohu vuvohu, without formless and void. And when he went through, it says, And he made it, and it was good. 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 Order. Then he goes over to chapter two. He makes a dude. Boom. Goes into the dust of the field. Whoa, 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 whoa. Get money together. Cock diesel at him. Comes out of the ground. Everything in order, right? Boom. Then he gives him a job and he gives him theology. I wish I had help right there. He gave him a job and he gave him some theology. Somebody ought to be shouting right there. In other words, order. I wish I had some help. Then, 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 then after that, he makes him a woman. He puts money to sleep. Plot out. He goes out, opens up his side, does the first surgery, takes the rib and forms it into a full body supernaturally. Powerful stuff. He used dust to make him. He used his rib to make him out of what he had already made. Order. Then he tells him, you got to teach your wife. Boom. Then chapter three. Oh, so now God sets up all this order. And like the old preacher said, here come old Slewfoot. <laughs> and old Slewfoot come in, he said, what's up, dog? How you doing, girl? Now, know what he wants to do? He wants to challenge order. So he doesn't talk to Adam. He talks to Eve. And when he talks to Eve, he said, did the Lord say that? In other words, God set up order to be like this, family. God, man, woman, Children, animals. He switched it. Animals, woman, man, God. The enemy always wants to reverse God's order to manipulate it, to manipulate <coughs> and to control it. What in your life is the devil trying to go around God to do? There's some things in your life out of order. And God is saying, I want them back under my divine order. Maybe your relationship with your friends are out of order. I wish I had help right there. Maybe some of your family stuff is out of order. Maybe your finances. Matter of fact, maybe your spiritual life is out of order. What in your life is out of order that the enemy is trying to disrupt so that God won't get the maximum glory that he's supposed to get. See, God doesn't like competition. But because, see, but the, what the enemy does is he does three things with an overarching thing under it. And, 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 what, and, 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 and this divisiveness that he's doing is called control. Somebody say control. Control does con- likes to control in three ways. This is how you identify the thing in your life. Three things it likes to do. It likes to manipulate. That, that means what it will do is it will, get, it will racketeer against you like the mafia. Oh, y'all don't know what racketeering is. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. See, if somebody tells you to scratch their back and go around God, that means that they're manipulating you. Oh, I'm going to keep moving because y'all don't hear me. Then they'll use intimidation. If you don't do this, then I will. They like to use threat. That's what Tobiah did. Domination. This type of divisiveness makes you feel suffocated and literally powerless to disagree. That means the, 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 the divisive control mechanism in your life that's trying to disrupt it will never, ever, ever, 
ever let you challenge it. But that's why I like Nehemiah, because he wasn't a punk. Now, now watch what he does right here, because this is the application of what you need to do. But we're going to see how order has always been set up by God's grace. Check this out. This is booming in the mug. Watch it. Watch it, watch it, watch it. It says, he, it says down in verse 6, <coughs> it says, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, he says, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. See, every now and then you need to get holy indignant. Y'all ain't going to hear me yet. Every now and then in your life, you need to get ticked in a holy way. There's sometimes, see, some of y'all say, well, just talk nicely to the area of your life and say, Oh, man, would you please kind of think about, you know, no, 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 no. There are some things and some people in your life that you got to jam up hard. Why? Because you see the gap between where God wants things and where things are. And you have to talk. Oh, y'all think this is a, oh, 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 okay, okay. Look at Jesus. Jesus goes into the temple. He gets hot. He said, what's going on in here? See, y'all got that point. Oh, what, what, listen, that's not Jesus I'm talking about. I'm talking about this Jesus went in the temple in this incarnate state, fully God, fully man, and said, this is crazy. He said, come here. He just, he just started turning stuff over. He said, hey, 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 what's going on in the temple of God? He starts kicking stuff around. He said, hey. See, some of y'all think that's unchristian. But you said you used to wear a WWD a bracelet. What would Jesus do? There are things in your life that you got to turn over. There's some things in your life you can't be nice to. I'm sorry. There's some things in your life that's so abhorrent to the order of God in your life that you got to go get it viciously. And what did Nehemiah say? It says, and Nehemiah threw the furniture out. What in your life do you need to throw out? There's something in your life that's in the way of God's order. Yes. Yes. And all it wants to do is manipulate and disrupt the order of God on your life. Every time God gets stuff in order, the enemy intervenes. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul tells them, Titus, I left you in Crete to set in order what remains. He tells them to set up leadership, chapter 1. Chapter 2, he tells them to set up discipleship. Chapter 3, he says, I'm set up mission. But in the middle of chapter 3, after he proclaims the gospel, he says in verse 9, and the divisive. Wow. Why would there be enemy stuff when there needs to be order? Because the enemy doesn't like God's order. And guess what? In Revelation chapter 20, based on Psalm 110.1, Yahweh said, my Lord, my Adonai said, to, my, my Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool to our feet. What is that? Order. What does Jesus come back to do? He comes back to judge and he puts the enemy in prison. What is that? Setting up order. How do I know it's order? Because we got new bodies. We got nice outfits on. 
and, we're, and the bottom of it is dipped in the blood of Jesus. The horses look nice and right. And then it says, after that, they let Satan loose. Then guess what Satan does? He goes and gets a bunch of people to come against God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't let it happen, so he fights, knocks the cats out, throw them into the lake of fire. Then guess what happens? He said, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. The old heavens, based on 2 Peter chapter 3, passed away. Then the new heavens and earth came. Why? Because God reordered everything back to his original design. Let me tell you something. If there's something in your life out of order, Jesus is anointed in your life to get it back in order. But you still don't believe me. God became flesh, put on a human body without the deity disrupting the humanity. I don't know how he did it, but it was orderly. And he lived a life I could never live. He died the death I could never die. Guess what? He put himself in the midst of disorder to reestablish order. Listen, and Christ died on the cross in an orderly way, but his body was out of order. But what I like about that is that's not the end of the story. Because my sin was put on, and when he died, I died. When he raised up from the grave, guess what? He raised up with all power in his hands. Why? He said, and all what? Authority. What does authority do? It gives you the ability to implement order. Let me give you some practical stuff. I'm going to get out your way. But some of y'all need to identify some punk stuff in your life, some sucker stuff. Some unflocked kingdom nutrition that's in your life. Maybe some people. There's somebody you may need to push the eject button on. Oh, I'm get, oh, I, y'all ain't talking back to me now. It's done got quiet now because I'm getting to your heart now. But let me tell you something. Anything in your life that's in the way of the glory of God must go. Anything. 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 Because if you let it stay there, it'll manipulate you. Like Tobiah. Like Tobiah. They will manipulate you and mangle your mind into believing that God has less. Amen, Amber. Amen, Amber. That's what happens in your life. But then there's some practical things you can do, just like Jesus and Nehemiah does. (coughs) Number one, when you're trying to get order back, you got to know what God's order looks like. <laughs> Jesus said in Mark eleven seventeen. guess what he says? He says, my father's house is a house of prayer. In other words, he understood God's original purpose. If you don't know God's original purpose for stuff in your life, you'll never snuff out the Tobias that are seeking to destroy your life. I wish I had some help. So you got to know God's vision. That's just like Paul in Acts 17, 16, where he looked at the Areopagus and saw all the ungodly gods. And guess what he said? His spirit was distressed and disturbed in him. Why? Because he knew the true God and he knew that they were worshiping an untrue God. I'm going to keep going because y'all not talking back to me. Number two. Challenge with courage. Who or what breaks God's order? Challenge. Challenge. Jesus comes in and says, you have made this into a den of robbers. You got to challenge it. Listen, you can't mix words with Tobiah. You got to tell clearly. You can't be, listen, you got to tell Tobiah off in a godly way. That's what the book says. 
you got to assign to Tobiah the exact, the exact thing that Tobiah is doing. You got to let him know. Jesus had Tobias, they were called Pharisees. They were religious people without spiritual transformation. Oh, I wish I had time to just talk about that. See, many times the appearance of a religiosity will make you think you have transformation. Uh, but, but Jesus challenges it at its core. Even though they might have right principles, their practices are off. I wish I had time. Number three, remove all things that have disrupted God's divine order. Remove it. Remove it today. Everywhere in the life of the community, there's no mission of God that can go forward until that happens. And I've learned in my life personally that there's some things and people and times and places and things that I want in my life that I want it more than God wanted. And guess what God has to do? God has to remove it in his way. And it's always rougher when God removes it. Don't force God into a forceful removal because God will make you look like Jesus no matter what you want to do. (laughs) He's going to make you look like him. At the end of the day, it's about the image of Christ. It ain't about what you want. And that's going to hurt sometimes. That's going to hurt sometimes. I'm going to say it a third time. That's going to hurt. I wish somebody would receive this word in the name of Jesus. It's going to hurt sometimes. I got to go to the fourth one. Reestablish God's divine order. He said he cleansed the temple. That's what it says Nehemiah did. He cleansed it. And then he put back in the temple everything that was supposed to go back in it. That's what you got to do. You got to cleanse out your life through the blood of Christ. What is not supposed to go in that chamber of your soul? And you say, God, help me to put this back in place. Jesus, through the gospel, it's not a moralistic effort. It's the strength through the power of the gospel because God shows you exactly what you need to do. And if he shows you and give you the resource to put back, he's already empowered you to do it. It doesn't make you more righteous. It doesn't make you more powerful. It helps you to live out the righteousness that Christ already bought on the cross for you. So you work out your salvation, not for it. So what is it in your life that needs reordering? Most of the time, I know a Tobiah when I see one because I spend too much time on that thing and not on the thing that God wanted me to spend time on. Because Tobiah is a leech. And guess what he'll do? He'll pull on your time like the Pharisees did Jesus. Jesus in the midst of ministry. Now, he ain't called for the Pharisees to come forward. He ain't followed them. They followed his ministry. See how the devil work? He will follow you and have you spending a lot of your time answering questions. Now, know what's dope about Jesus? Jesus answered the questions and shut their mouths really quickly and got back to teaching. (laughs) You got to learn how when that thing wants to get back in your life, how to rebuke it quickly and go back to what God called you to do. I'm going to say that again. You got to learn how to rebuke it quickly and get back, because that's when it's gone. But when it's there, you're always trying to manage Tobias' expectations. See, 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 when a Tobiah is in your life, you're always trying to make Tobiah feel comfortable. That's why, that's in the text. It says they gave him a room in the house of God. He had a penthouse. He had a room in the house. What you need, Tobiah? Do you need some of the grain offering? What you need, Tobiah? What you need me to do, Tobiah? What you need me to do? And that's, Tobiah will manipulate you into being his armor bearer. 
I wish I had time. I, I want to preach it like I want to preach it. But what, what, what Tobiah will do is he will have you serving him instead of God. What you got to tell Tobiah, you got to tell Tobiah, grow up or get out. Tobiah, grow up. Uh-oh, you, all right. But I'm not going to make my life your life. And you better learn that quickly because you'll waste a lot of time trying to please people who have a greed for their personal preferences. I got to stop preaching. Zero. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. For your word. <laughs> God, will you help us and our souls to honor your name in every single area of life? And Lord God, there are chambers of our soul that are not where it should be. Because we've made room for someone or something or someplace or whatever, that a situation that wants your glory. And Lord God, we can't allow ourselves to be taken off track. And God, I pray for your glory and mercy in every chamber of our life that you would go into every corridor of our soul and that you would fight against and help us to fight against whatever is in the way of you. God, we need you desperately. We need you desperately to work out what we can't work out. 